I'm in my third series, or third week rather, in a series that I'm calling Overcoming the Ancient Giants of this Modern Age. And you might ask why I'm teaching about this, because uh, the one thing I don't do is I don't glorify the enemy. I glorify the Lord God Almighty. But the truth is, is that it's hard to fight an enemy that you don't know is your enemy. The Apostle Paul said that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And the word devices there means schemes or strategies. And speaking of not knowing things that we all should know, Apostle Natasha Gribich is going to be doing a seminar here this coming Friday and Saturday. You will not want to miss that. And her seminar is going to be on prayer. And I can tell you this. I've been in ministry over 50 years. Up and down the length of this world, 103 nations, I've heard just about everybody that... That, that there is to hear speak. There's no one that has greater revelation or insight on the subject of prayer than Natasha. And she's coming to teach on that subject. If you want to strengthen your prayer life, take the time Friday evening to be here. That's normally a, a global force service. She will be teaching and then Saturday morning. And I promise you, she will bless you. And uh, like I said, I don't know of anyone in the body of Christ that is as effective in this regard Jesus said that his house would be called a house of prayer for all people. So I want to encourage you to come if you possibly can. I'll also say this in regard to the subject that I'm teaching on. Some things in the kingdom are easier to explain than are others. Some concepts can be challenging to explain to a person who doesn't understand or who struggles to understand spiritual things. I think we all know that. There was Nicodemus, and he said, How can I, being old, enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, Are you a teacher among the, the Jewish people, and you don't understand that? That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And here was a man that was, he was actually the head of the Sanhedrin, which is the council of 70 leaders over Israel. And Jesus said to to say, man, don't you know what's going on here? He was having a hard time grasping a deeper spiritual truth. And sometimes that occurs with all of us. Okay, joke, okay, joke. Guy walks into a bar and he asks the barman if he can tell him a blonde joke. And the barman responds, are you sure you want to tell this joke? I'm six foot seven, I'm blonde, I'm a bodybuilder. Across the room, we have a blonde Marine that just finished his fourth tour in the Middle East. Right next to him, we have a blonde cage-fighting champion. Are you sure you want to tell that blonde joke? The guy thought it over for a moment, and he says, You're probably right, so I won't tell it. I don't want to have to explain it three different times. Amen. (laughs) I hope I won't have to explain what I'm here to talk about today three different times. I'd like to be able to communicate this effectively. In the book of Romans chapter 12, there are a number of wonderful Christian characteristics that we are instructed to try to practice daily in our lives. The Christian experience is no good if it does not change you. We always want to change everything around us, but if it doesn't change you, does it make you into a better person? Does not teach you how to love people better? Does not teach you how to succeed in your life? The Christian experience is not really doing you very much good, nor the world very much good. And in Romans 12, verse 9 through 11, listen to these principles and characteristics that Paul says we should incorporate into our lives. 
Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. And I stress that in the text for a reason. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then in the book of Genesis, there is a passage of scripture in Genesis 9 and verse 20. When Noah began to be a former and he planted a vineyard, this is right after the flood. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth, who were Ham's two other brothers, all of these had survived, they and their wives, in the ark. Noah, Mrs. Noah, total of eight persons. And so you have these three sons of Noah, and Ham has gone to tell Shem and Japheth what he has just witnessed. His father was drunk, fell over in the tent, uncovered himself, went to sleep in that position. Ham comes in, and he makes light of it. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked in backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. I want to speak this morning in reference to this whole dynamic of spiritual forces that we are continuing to deal with all of these many, many generations and centuries later that continue to work behind the scenes to agitate, to create problems, to destroy the world we live in. I want to speak from this subject this morning, unmasking the spirit of dishonor. Father, I pray that you would speak a word to us now that, as I always pray, each Sunday would be revelational, instructional, and insightful, and help us to receive this word as it indeed is the living word of a living God. Your words, they have spirit, they have life, and through your word, we can transform our world just like the world we live in was created by your words. We can recreate our world with the word of God. And I'm asking you to impact us with the word in Jesus' name. You receive glory. We want to give you glory. That is our purpose. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. As I've already pointed out, people don't realize there are spiritual forces at work around us. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. And unless you live in some place like L.A., you can't see air. If you live in L.A., you can see air. Satan governs an unseen realm, in other words, the realm of the underworld or the realm of hell. Dis was the name, D-I-S, that the Romans gave the god of the underworld. Look it up in the dictionary. Dis was the name that was literally used by them for the person we call in English Satan. He is the god of the underworld, the god of hell. It is important that we understand in the course of our Christian life, if we are to be effective, who we are actually fighting against. In 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 3 
and uh, uh, verse three and five rather, we for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. Everybody say mighty. Would you do that? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to know who we're fighting and we have to know what our weapons are. The name the Romans knew Satan by has ended up working its way into our everyday language as a very common prefix. When you dislike someone, notice the prefix, D-I-S, that's the name of the God of the underworld. That's another name for Satan. So when you dislike someone, disapprove, disagree, disown, disobey, disconnect, or dishonest, or when you are disappointed, dissatisfied, disrespect, discriminate, or discouraged, disgusted, disheartened, and when you are disturbed, when you disbelieve, when you disable, when you disappear, what it literally means is the God of the underworld, literally of hell, Satan, has affected your well-being in the manner described by his name and the word that serves as a prefix added to it. When you're disappointed, it means that his spirit has spoiled your appointment. When you are discouraged, it means he, it has stolen your courage. When you are disgusted, what it literally means is the enemy has robbed you of your gusto or vigor for life. When you are disheartened, he has weakened your heart or your spirit. When you disrespect or dishonor someone, you're acting out of a spirit and attitude that is the spirit and attitude of the spirit of darkness. That's why you can't ever own it. I want you to listen to me or take it seriously when somebody disses you. You don't own that because what they're doing is speaking a word of ownership over you where your future is now put into the hands of the enemy. I need you to look at somebody and say, shake it off when somebody disses you. Would you do that? Don't let the enemy discount or disrespect you. Look at all these different words and how we work them into our vocabulary. He will make you think you're disadvantaged. He will also affect your disposition until you become disencouraged or discouraged rather, disinclined to act and disassociate from those you need to stay connected to. He will cause you to become disconcerted, disoriented, disillusioned and disenfranchised from your destiny. Tell some again you got to shake it off would you do that when somebody disses you I've been talking about how many of the things we are confronted with in society today and in life are actually ancient spirits that have been around a long long time and that we need to understand how that they have evolved in their presentation to society in an effort to destroy the world we live in and destroy the thing that God loves most, which is me and you, over the years. They work through culture. One of the characteristics that we're instructed by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans to be aware of is that we should develop in our lives the ability to show honor to others. 
Way back in Genesis, after the flood, one of Noah's sons got into trouble with God because he had a spirit of dishonoring those who deserved to be honored in his life. Think about it. Ham would not even be around had it not been for an old man named Noah that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The reason Ham was spared and his family was because of his father. After the flood, Noah planted a vineyard and became drunk after the grapes had been harvested and crushed and stored. The juice had been stored. We don't know if he knew that the grape juice would be intoxicating, that it would ferment or not. I suppose he probably did. But trust me, if you had just watched the annihilation of every other person on the face of the planet take place and only you and your little family were left, you'd probably feel like putting one on too. Amen. We know that he got drunk. He went into his, his, his tent and he staggered and fell down. And I want to point this out. Everybody should know this by now, but alcohol or any other types of addictive substances will not fix your problem for you. All they do is lead to greater problems. Amen. Have you learned that yet? When you attempt to mood alter what you're going through with substances, that's substance abuse by definition, and it will always make your situation worse. It certainly did in this case. Because when you finally come out of whatever that false state of euphoria is that has mood altered what you're going through, then you feel worse than you did before you went in it. And it creates a vicious cycle of shame and you start spiraling downward. The old man got drunk, staggered into his tent and fell down, went to sleep and he was exposed. Ham, the youngest son of Noah, came alone from whatever he was doing and found his father Noah drunk in his tent on the floor. And Ham saw that Noah had become uncovered. Rather than politely cover him up or just back out and go his own way and forget about it, Ham went out and laughed about what he saw. He made fun of his father and what he had witnessed. And in doing so, he dishonored his dad. And because he dishonored his dad and brought humiliation to his father, God looked down from heaven and said, I'm not pleased. The loss of his father's dignity and his subsequent embarrassment and humiliation were amusing to him. Have you ever seen anybody like that? They laugh at your discomfort. They laugh at things that should have elicited sympathy in their heart from you. They find it funny when you go through a rough place in life. Did you know that honor is mentioned 196 different times in the Bible? To honor someone is to value them. It means to credit them with worth. And this is close to the heart of God. There's never been anyone that has placed value on our lives the way that God has placed value on our lives. This world needs to know that God sees value in them. We have a whole generation of young people growing up that don't realize that they're valuable. Right over here, Kurt and Shelley Williams are sitting and they hit up Youth Reach. It was mentioned a moment ago, a ministry that has served over 3,000 young boys in their troubled ages between 12 and 17 from broken homes. Many of them violated, abused. They would have turned out to be the next generation of school shooters in, in this area. But thank God for ministry that see value when others just see trash. Amen.
Thank God for people that know how to care. I honor that. In John 3.16, we see that's what God did. For God so loved the world. Did you hear what I'm saying? That he gave his only begotten son. He saw value in us. What kind of value? Value that was high enough, great enough, that when the price tag said to save these, you got to give your son. God said, I'll do it. Because that's the kind of value that he's attached to your life. God sees value in you. In the kingdom of God, everything must be spiritually discerned. Honor is one of the kingdom's most important keys to opening heaven and receiving from God. Many people don't know that. Jesus said that if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. However, if you only receive a prophet as a righteous man, you only receive a righteous man's award. I want you to notice the diminished return based upon the lack of discernment. Jesus knew that when you fail to show honor, that it limits what God can do in your life. When he returned to his own hometown of Nazareth in Matthew 13, the people were offended at him. And they began to say, who does this guy think he is? We know his brother and his sisters and his mother. And where did he suddenly get all of this wisdom? And they dishonored him. And one of the strangest verses in the Bible says the result was that he was only able to do a few miracles there. Think of it, the mighty God of glory, robed in human flesh, was with them, but he couldn't do much for them because they limited what they could receive from him because they did not give him honor. I want you to hear what I'm talking about. When you don't honor people, they can't help you. They can't serve you. Their impact in your life is diminished. There is a spirit in our world that would that rather than show honor, it seeks to dishonor others. It's been around way back since Noah walked down the gangplank of the ark to stand on solid and dry ground again. Rather than acknowledge the value of others, the spirit seeks to lessen and diminish their worth. That spirit is what I'm talking about this morning. I want to unmask it. It's a spirit of dishonor. This spirit can be recognized by its unwillingness to give honor to those who deserve honor and its desire to cause someone else shame. And there is a spirit out there, hear what I'm saying, that wants to cause others shame and humiliation. This is a time when people are quick to show disrespect. That's the day we live in. They don't pause and think about what they're getting ready to say or do. They'll, they'll disrespect you at the drop of a hat. And not very many people want to show you honor. If you disagree with them, they'll cut you off at the knees. And whether it's to parents or to a school or to teachers or to politicians or to law enforcement personnel, our servicemen and women, and don't forget the, the veterans event coming up this weekend. Hey, all of our veterans, don't forget the breakfast on, on Saturday. We want to honor you. We thank you for your service to this nation. But regardless of it, if, if, even if it's to our servicemen and women, some of them have been disabled in, in action and in battle on our behalf, or even our own spouses, or how about this, our bosses and supervisors. People are slow to show appreciation and quick to try to tear others down. 
We think if we disagree with someone that it's okay to not show them honor. I want to unmask this spirit. Showing honor is important even when you disagree with somebody. That's true whether you are right and they are wrong or they're the ones who are right and you're the one who is wrong. There are numerous, numerous examples of this throughout the Bible. In the book of Exodus, we read that the brother and sister of Moses named Aaron and Miriam got into trouble with God when they failed to give honor to their brother Moses and to his wife. I'm going to talk to people about racial reconciliation right now. And this idea that you got to, if you're a different race, you don't have to respect others. Listen to what I'm talking about. First of all, there's only one race and that's the human race. We need to get some of that old thinking. Get rid of it. Amen. Moses married a Cushite woman whose skin was darker in color than Miriam and Aaron's was. So they talked about Moses. They failed to give him and his new wife honor. And here's what you need to know. Moses went right on being used by God anyway. Because you can talk about somebody, but that doesn't lift the anointing off of their life. But Moses watched Miriam and Aaron's anointing dry up. They stopped being used by God. Showing dishonor shut them down, not Moses. You have to realize that Miriam and Aaron were amazing people in their own right. Miriam was the first prophetess that Israel ever had. Its first worship leader. And Aaron was the first high priest. But having, watch this now. Having an elevated office did not give them the right to dishonor somebody else. Amen. Aaron and Miriam were in the wrong. The Bible tells us that God became very angry with them. Miriam was smitten with leprosy. And the entire camp had to wait seven days until God healed her before they could move and relocate. Leprosy was a communicable disease and required separation from the contact of other people. God considered her problem of dishonor to be of such a serious nature that he placed her in isolation. Rather than allow allow her spirit of dishonor to contaminate others. God treats dishonor as a communicable disease. Paul said in Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you brethren. Note those who cause division and defenses. And contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And say it with me. Avoid them. Did you hear what it said? Put them outside the camp. You can't have contact with them. Leprosy destroys the nerve endings in the body. I've preached about that before. You lose your ability to feel. That's one of the the diagnostic descriptions and symptoms of leprosy. You can't feel anymore. And I knew a teacher that, that was diagnosed with leprosy because he was in a shower one day and couldn't feel the water striking his body in certain places anymore. When you have a spirit of dishonor, you can't feel God like you used to. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. 
someone can preach or sing and the, the anointing can be there and you're looking at your watch and can't wait for the service to end and you don't feel anything and you're wondering what's wrong with everybody else and it's not anybody else, it's actually you that you've got something going on that shut down the ability of God to touch your heart. Amen. You don't feel anything. You know why? God's placed you outside the camp. Failing to show honor and trying to bring shame to someone slows down their spiritual progress as well. It makes you wait longer than you should to get to your promised land. Look at this, Exodus 12, 15. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. It shut the whole camp down. You want to shut down your progress financially? You want to shut down your march to your promised land and your destiny? You want to shut down God's favor on your life? You want to close the open door that's just ahead of you? You want to delay what God is doing in your life? Begin to show dishonor and doors will start swinging shut. You'll watch the anointing of God lift. You'll be shut down. Dishonoring those who are different from you will cause your promotion to stall and, and stop. And I want to say this, doesn't, God doesn't make an issue of the color of our skin. Why should we? Let me tell you a little bit about our history because we have a lot of people coming to join the church now. But in the legacy building on Wallaceville 32 years ago when I came to be pastor, I'm only the fourth pastor this church has had in 70 years. I've been here 32 years, longer than any other. The church didn't look like it does right now. Now you come, we look like Houston, and I love it. Amen. I love it. Praise God. There was only one primary color in the church. Well, a few of families, but basically only one color, and it was white. And I'm going to say something about that in a moment. Yet the neighborhoods around it were multi-ethnic. And I intentionally, intentionally set about to change the church so that it would reflect the community that it was in. Why? First, because if a church isn't reflecting the community that it is in, it is failing God and not fulfilling the purpose that he has placed that church in its community to accomplish and achieve. We need to touch this community that we are in. Can I, somebody ought to give the Lord a praise break right there. Somebody ought to love God right there. And secondly, I wanted our worship to be as close as we could get to the worship of heaven, this side of glory. I wanted our worship to be every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. Amen. Because when you look at perfect worship... You won't find it in the Bible on earth. Where you find it is in heaven. The reason is our worship is flawed because we are human. We have our weaknesses. But God loves our worship anyway. But perfect worship is found after we get to heaven. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After these things I looked. And behold a great multitude which no man could number. Of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with power. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. With palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying salvation to our, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
Perfect worship is when you get every nationality, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic strata, every level of education together, and you worship God. Woo! Pardon me, I feel my anointing kicking in this place today. You see, I learned something in all of these years. And look, I read the Bible through about three times a year. I pray hours. I spend a lot of time in the presence of God. And you know what this has taught me? It's taught me I can't do it by myself. I've learned to lean on the everlasting arm. I'm not boasting. I, I, this is my job. I would, I would be failing you if I didn't do it. But not only that, I love to be in the presence of God. But more still is the, the fact that I have found out I will never preach a good enough message to do what needs to be done. If God doesn't show up, God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. I'm just telling you that right now. And if I can get you in God's presence, more can happen in five minutes than it can in five years of my preaching. That's why I will worship here. Hallelujah. Amen. If we couldn't enter into heaven yet, I thought, why don't we bring heaven down here? Why don't we duplicate what is going on in heaven? Let's create worship that reflects what is in the glory world. I've been glad for a long time that for the most part we've moved beyond the days when silly stuff mattered like are you white or brown or black or green with yellow polka dots. I'm glad we got beyond all that but it disturbs me that we're going backward right now in this nation. And there's a spirit of dishonor behind it. And like it did to Israel, this thing will only slow you down in your progress to your destiny. It won't open doors, it closes them. In this church, we stand for the value of every person and we honor one another. That's what Paul said, honor one another. And guess who had to pray for Miriam before she was healed? The very brother she was dishonoring. Moses had to lay hands on her and pray for her. The very one you disrespect may be the doctor that saves you in the emergency room. The person that stops on the side of the road to help you out. Hello, somebody. The person that touches God when your family's in crisis. And do you know what's hilarious? Most people are made up of so many different tribes and people groups anyway, they don't know it. Especially us Cajuns. I'm serious. My family got this 23andMe DNA thing. And they gave it to me for Christmas last year. And I got around to filling it out and sent it in, you know, and did the whole DNA thing. They brought, I wish I hadn't done it. You know why? Because listen to this. I found out my DNA is from Africa, Asia, Europe, and First Nation or Native American. I have French, German, Jewish, Finnish, Scandinavian, Swiss, Danish, Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, British, and Irish. That's just Europe. I laugh with Benny Matthews, my son in ministry, because it's not all I found out. I have West Asian and Bengali. Sahib, y'all. That's from Asia, India. And listen to this. I have North African and Sub-Saharan African, Ghanaian, Liberian, and Sierra Leonean. 
I talked to my son Peter uh, yesterday, Peter Okery, who is a pastor in, in Ghana. And I told him he laughed until he cried. He said, you really are my papa. I said, yes, I really am your papa. <laughs> and then I got American Indian DNA. God created me to be able to minister to anybody. I either fit in everywhere, I don't fit in anywhere. Amen. And many of you are just like that. And so I got upset when I got the results back, not because of what was in it, because uh, they could have just sent me said, you're not related to this guy and this guy and this guy and it had been done. Instead, they're going to tell me who all I'm related to. I'm related to everybody. Amen. We shouldn't get up at, caught up in this divisive spirit that dishonors others. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. As I said earlier, showing honor is important even when you disagree with somebody. I'm not going to finish this. But as I said, that's true. Whether you're in the right and they're in the wrong or they're in the right and you're in the wrong. Still show honor. You have to honor the office. You have to honor the dignity of the fact that that person is a human being. Amen. Consider King David. Saul had abused the privileges of his office. He was trying to kill David. He was far from a good king. But David honored the office and the anointing on Saul's life anyway. Even when the man was trying to kill him. One time when Saul was chasing David, he heard he was in a certain area. And the, he took his whole army. Can you imagine? Going after one guy with his whole army. And he found David, evidence of his camp. What he didn't know was David was hiding in a cave. And Saul went in the cave to take care of his business. And that's a polite way of saying he needed to use the restroom and needed privacy. Seriously. And so he's taking care of business. And David, who is a warrior, creeps up, cuts the skirt off Saul's garment right in the middle of this. And Saul gets out and walks out. And then David hollers, hey, who does this belong to right here? And his heart smote him. Smote him. Unlike Moses, who as a leader had done nothing wrong, here was King Saul who had done everything wrong. And still David's heart smote him because he lifted his hand against a man and failed to give honor to the position in the office. I'm preaching better than you're, you're, you're responding. Saul did not fulfill his obligation to his people the way he should have. And I want to say this right now. Leaders make mistakes. Look at, look at me right now and say, Pastor, you made some mistakes in your life. Would you do that? Come on, don't be afraid. Say it. I'll say it. I've made mistakes in my life. No, I'm not going out and robbed a bank and shot anybody and all that kind of... If I'd got my way a time or two, I might have. But, but I didn't do it by the grace of God. Pastors make mistakes. We're human just like you are. A leader might fail to serve as he or she should, but it's important that we honor the office. That's true in the world and that's true in the church. Ham went into the tent and saw his father uncovered. In other words, he saw flesh. And you watch me long enough, you might see a little flesh every once in a while. I get upset just like you do when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Oh, it hurt you for me to tell you that. You can only find a pastor that, uh, you can only follow a pastor that's perfect. Good luck with that, okay? I want to tell you there's no such thing as a perfect church. 
And if there was, they wouldn't let you and me in it because we're not perfect. It wouldn't be perfect anymore. But we're trying. Can I see somebody high five a brother or sister say, we're trying. Would you do that? Second Corinthians four and seven. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I marvel that God still uses me. That's why I can't take glory for anything he does. I'm not talking about covering up sin. I'm not talking about ignoring blatant rebellion and iniquity. I want you to make sure that you hear what I'm saying right now. And be very, and be very, very, let me be very, very clear when I tell you this. The scripture says that we need to address matters like that. But I'm not going to stand up here. I've never been one of those pastors that wanted to make you think I was perfect. Because I knew that I would be living up to an impossible standard. And someday you're going to see my face get red in traffic. And I'm going to roll the window down and say, would you please drive more carefully? And you go, that was pastor in that car. I hadn't done it in a long time, so I am growing. Ham went around telling everybody what he saw. I saw some flesh. Amen. And so he went and told his brothers. It's, I can almost hear people today. You know what I heard the other day? You know what I saw? I don't think that person's qualified to lead anymore because there's some flesh. Amen. They're carnal. Notice what Ham's brothers did. Shem and Japheth, they put a garment on their shoulders and turned around and walked backward. And laid it over their father rather than expose his nakedness. Sometimes love covers a multitude. Had it not been for the Lord, you and I would not be here right now. And I'm done. I got to close. When Noah woke up and heard what happened, he cursed him, son. How many times have we heard this preached the wrong way? He cursed Ham. No, he didn't. Go back and read the scripture. He didn't curse Ham. He cursed Canaan, Ham's son. Because when you have a spirit of dishonor, what it does is it destroys future generations in your your family. You bring a generational curse that causes your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren to get out of the will of God, to be bypassed, and they lose their destiny. Dishonor robbed a family of its destiny. And I close with these points. A few thoughts. There are compelling reasons that we should defeat the spirit of dishonor. The spirit that is so ancient that it's been around all the way back to the days of Noah. And we need to learn to show honor to others. Here are some of the reasons why. Number one, showing honor is a major key to receiving blessing. Whereas Ham's family was cursed... Noah blessed Shem and Japheth for covering up his flesh. And they were blessed because they chose to honor their father. Number two, if you do not show and give honor, you will always serve someone else's vision and not your own. God said of Canaan, he will serve Japheth and and Shem. He will not serve his own vision. One reason some of us get stuck in dead-end jobs is because we have a spirit of dishonor. 
And you will never be able to serve your own vision when you do that. Number three, whether or not you show honor also affects whether or not you experience the supernatural power of God in your life. Jesus went to Nazareth, the mighty God of heaven, clothed in earth. Hello, somebody. Walking around Nazareth, and they couldn't receive from him because they said, we know him. Where did he get all this fancy wisdom and these words and that vocabulary and acting like he knows something? stuff. We saw him raised as a little boy. He was raised as a little boy until the time of his unveiling as the mighty God in earth came. But listen, don't you disrespect anybody because they're going to go right on working miracles. You know what he did? He went to the next town and kept on working miracles, but they stayed sick. Amen. Number four, your next promotion is tied into your ability to perceive and give honor. Shem and Japheth were promoted that day because of the honor they showed their father by the way they handled the situation. Your promotion is tied into honor. If you can honor somebody, if you can honor an office, this nation is divided. Oh my God, have mercy. It seems like destroying one another's credibility is the name of the game. I rebuke it, I curse it in the name of Jesus. Don't you get caught up in that mess. Do you hear what I'm saying? And speaking to the fact that some of us don't vote, you ought to vote. I'm going to tell you right now, I got an exceptional record. They sent me a form. They said, your voting record is exceptional. It better be because how am I going to be a child of God and sit here and complain about what's going on and not do anything to light a candle, just sit in the darkness. Amen. Number five, there's another reason you should honor one another. And that is no matter how far a man has fallen from God, there remains the image of God within that person and a call of God on their lives. You may be looking at somebody that's a nobody right now, like Esther was last week when I preached. But she became the queen in short order. That person was created in the image of God. Don't honor what they did. Honor who they are. Honor the image of God on their life. Hello, somebody. Oh, getting a little quiet right now. Hello, somebody. I want to tell you something. One reason prisons are filled with repeat offenders is because all that's ever been spoken over them is you're a failure. You messed up. You're nobody. You're. Listen, this book that I'm preaching from speaks honor to every person. Now, do I believe there ought to be penalties for breaking the law? Yes, I certainly do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be safe for any of us to live. But you need to look at somebody, if it's a family member, and say, Son, you were created in the image of God. You're not made for that mess you're involved in right now. You're going to be unhappy until you find out who you really are. Number six, and I'm done. We should honor our fathers and our mothers. That is hard for many of us, and I'm going to be honest. This is where very often the problem begins because many of us have come from homes that are broken. My mama put me out when I was four. I know what it's like to struggle with hatred because I grew up in life feeling like I was a nobody. And you know who I figured out the problem could be traced to? A mama that said, I don't want you anymore. Took my clothes off me at a bus station, stripped me down, even my shoes and my socks, and said, I'm not going to be your mama anymore, and I'm giving these clothes to a little boy that lives down the street. You grow up like that, you don't have any value, and you become angry. 
But I had to one day realize that even though she failed the office, she still held an office. Forgive, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. If they did you wrong, let it go anyway. If they hurt you, let it go. Let it go. And then finally, two last things. Number seven, honor your spouse. The position they hold in your life mirrors the position of the church and its relationship to Christ and with Christ. Would you stand with me with Christ and his church? Your marriage is a reflection of the marriage between Christ and his bride. You know why so many people disrespect the church? It's because they disrespect their mom and their dad because of something that happened. You can't show honor to God if you can't honor your father's office. Oh, it's going to get quiet right now. You don't know what my dad did to me. I didn't say honor him for what he did. I said honor the office. He may have failed the office, but honor the office. Amen. Number seven, as I said, honor your spouse. And there are very many of us that fail to honor our wives, our husbands. I never will forget. I'm going to tell off for myself. I've already told you I'm not perfect. One day my wife and I, we were having a, uh, I mean, we were having a real fight. I, I hate these people that say, I've been married 50 years, never had an argument with my life, my wife. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You're going to go to hell for lying. Yes, you are. Amen. I've argued with my wife. We've raised our voices. We've raised our voices loud enough that they probably heard us across the street. And one day I was right in the middle of it. And she looked at me and she said, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a child of God. And I went. I have not raised my voice at her since that day. I learned a lesson. Show honor. She put me in my place. Amen. Number eight, try honoring your boss, your fellow workers. How about this? Try honoring your enemies. Develop a culture of giving honor rather than disrespect. Disrespect. 